Welcome to the Humanist Report. I'm Mike Figueredo. Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon.com. If you bookmark the link in the description box, you can support the show every time you shop on Amazon. On today's episode, I'll be discussing the GOP debate and who I think both won and then also who lost. Uh, and furthermore, I'll be fact-checking the GOP debate. I'll be going over an article by PolitiFact where they showed that some of the assertions made were completely fabricated and false. Uh, so we'll be going over that. I'll also be discussing Bernie Sanders, of course, uh, and his new stance on marijuana, as well as Hillary Clinton, who has attempted to now smear Bernie Sanders uh, because she thinks that he's a sexist. So we'll get to all of this and more. Uh, so I hope you guys stay tuned and enjoy the episode. The third Republican debate took place, and it was hosted by CNBC. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and give you guys the rundown of each of the candidates' performance, as well as who I think won and lost. Uh, and I'll also give you my general feelings, uh, things that stood out to me and whatnot. Uh, so first and foremost, I'll go ahead and start with Carly Fiorina. One thing that stood out to me was where the uh, moderators had questioned her history uh, at HP, because when she was CEO, she was fired. Uh, HP was losing thousands and thousands of jobs because she laid people off. Uh, and... I think that the way in which she responded, it it was good. I mean, I think that she defended herself well. Now, I did think that she did kind of come off a bit grumpy. And what's interesting is that I didn't really think about this until she had primed me because she stated that her weakness is that she doesn't smile as much. Uh, and then it kind of clicked in my head. And I was like, oh, wait, she doesn't really smile that much. She does kind of come off as more grumpy and more serious. Uh, and she shouldn't have just... She shouldn't have said anything because... You know, now we're thinking it. So uh, I think that, that was probably something that she shouldn't have said. Uh, also, the biggest thing that I disagree with when it comes to Carly Fiorina is she made an anti-minimum wage statement. Uh, she says that she doesn't think government should set a minimum wage. That's just absolutely ludicrous because if you don't think that the government should set a minimum wage, well then have fun with mass poverty and income inequality that's out of this world. You're going to see wages at like $1, $2 per hour. That's just, I mean, look, that's the reason why they outsource jobs to Malaysia. So that way they can pay individuals pennies an hour or pennies a day, actually. Uh, so that's just an absurd comment. Uh, as for her overall performance, I think that she did better in the second debate. However, I don't necessarily think that she did bad this time. I just don't really feel as though she did anything to... Uh, improve her position. So when it comes to Ted Cruz, he tried to pull a Bernie Sanders and say, look, we need to start focusing on the more substantive issues. We don't need to be attacking each other, which is what the hosts want. But instead of kind of uh, coming off well like Bernie Sanders did when he defended Hillary Clinton about her emails, I think that uh, Ted Cruz just came off as bitchy to me. <laughs> and that may just be because of his face. Uh, he just has resting bitch face. Not many politicians have this, but he is certainly one of them that has resting bitch face to me. I will say that Ted Cruz did appear less smarmy this time. Uh, he made his presence more notable, which is good for him. But I don't think he did very much to improve his position as well. So I think he's just kind of right there with Carly Fiorina, where not going to do much better, not going to do much worse in terms of polling. Now, when it comes to Mike Huckabee, I think that I've agreed with Mike Huckabee more than any other time ever. Um, this is because his more theocratic, homophobic views were muted. So uh, when it comes to uh, his defense of Social Security, I actually really liked it. And I liked that he emphasized the need to cure cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, and whatnot, uh, because this is a populist policy position. This is something that nobody disagrees with. You're not going to get any pushback if you want to fund research 
for uh, cures for these types of diseases. So I think that that's absolutely a good thing. Uh, and I think it's smart in terms of moving yourself up in the polls. One thing he said with respect to these policies that was incorrect is that he states that if we cured these diseases, we would bring the cost of health care down. Now, that's true to some extent, but that doesn't really get at the core issue as to why healthcare prices are uh, rising so steadily. And it's because people end up not having health insurance, something happens to them, then they have massive debt accumulated in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then they can't pay it. And because of all the people who can't pay their debt, well, well this forces prices to go up in order to make up for that. So I think that he doesn't really understand what's going on there. But nonetheless, I still agree with his policy position on wanting to cure these diseases. I'm 100% with him. Uh, now, I do think that his performance was better than last time. But again, I think this may just be because his more theocratic elements were not present. Um, so he was trying to be more reasonable and appeal to more rational people. And I think he did a, did a good job at that. How it'll help him in the polls? No idea. Now, when it comes to uh, Ben Carson, I think that he did a good job trying to explain why he's against regulation, uh, even though it was inaccurate and basically everything he said was just an oversimplification. Uh, but there were a couple things that really irked me when it comes to Ben Carson. So his comment on same-sex marriage it was just laughable and contradictory. So he states that he thinks the Constitution protects everyone, even gays, presumably, right? Uh, but he doesn't want them to be protected and have equal rights when it comes to marriage. So does the Constitution protect them or not? Uh, now, he also states that he has a problem with being called a homophobe because he's against gay marriage. Now, you wouldn't be called a homophobe if you weren't one. See, he wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to deny civil rights to same-sex couples, but yet not be called a bigot. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't work like that. Like, what you sound like is people from the 60s stating, man, I wish I could just hate black people and not be called a racist. That's exactly what you sound like, and if you don't want to be called a homophobe, then actually stop being a homophobe and stop supporting homophobic anti-gay policies. Uh, now, he attributes this to PC culture. So he says that the reason why we call uh, anti-gay marriage people bigots is because of PC culture. But I thought this was really funny because this implies that we've suddenly arrived at this point in time where everything is just overly PC and we can't say anything without be being called a racist, without being called a bigot. Now, let me just say to that, uh, I hear more people complain about us being overly politically correct than I do about people actually getting outraged at stuff. I mean, you hear, you see these, you know, isolated incidents where someone will be outraged over something odd. Like, for instance, Melissa Harris-Perry from MSNBC said that you can't say the term working hard because it, uh, it it offends slaves or something along those lines. Now, look, that's it's completely absurd, but I don't think that that's a good picture of the overall status of PC culture in the U.S. PC culture in the U.S. is consistent. There's a reason why we don't call African Americans colored people. There's a reason why we don't call Asian Americans Orientals. It's because we're in a constant state of political correctness. So to attribute it to that is just idiotic. And I think that the people who are trying to be politically correct, well, even though you may disagree with them and they may take it too far sometimes, at least they're trying to improve and be more respectful of others. So I thought that was stupid to make that point because it's <laughs> being anti-gay and uh, being called a homophobe, that has nothing to do with PC culture. Uh, now, in terms of his performance, I don't think he did better or worse, but somehow he's still rising in the polls. I don't get the appeal, so I have no idea how his performance is going to impact the polls. No idea at all. I don't see how he's even the front runner in a couple of polls, um, one in Iowa and one nationally. 
Uh, I don't get how that's the case. He is about to fall asleep, presumably, <laughs> each time he talks. I, I don't get the appeal. I really don't. So I have no idea what this Ben Carson phenomenon will lead to. I have no idea how his debate performance will help him in the polls. Now, when it comes to Marco Rubio, uh, I think that he was the winner. So I'm pretty sure he he's going to come out on top of his little dispute with Jeb Bush over whether or not he should step down because he's missing a bunch of votes, votes in the Senate and he's not doing his job. Um, I think that he made his presence known. I think he is going to come off as looking really strong, really decisive, really presidential. Uh, and because of this, I actually think that, you know, he's going to get a boost in the polls. But again, I can't predict what Republican primary voters want because it, I would have never suspected that Donald Trump would have lasted this long or that uh, Ben Carson would get a surge. So I am not going to state <laughs> who I think is going to get a boost in the polls. Now, when it comes to John Kasich, uh, he got some momentum in the beginning by complaining about the policies of other candidates, but I thought that Trump really kneecapped him because Kasich was bragging about how well they're doing in Ohio, but Trump was correct to kind of point out, well, the reason why uh, you're doing so well in Ohio economically is because you struck gold there. There's a thing called fracking, and it helped you out. And at that point, Kasich was done. <laughs> I mean, you could tell he lost the momentum after that. So a couple things irked me about him. So he took an anti-weed stance, and that rubbed me the wrong way uh, because he automatically jumped to people overdosing on drugs uh, when you can't overdose on marijuana. And if you do, it's going to be very, very difficult. And really, the main consequence of common overdoses of marijuana is that you just want to eat an entire bag of Cheetos. So just... You're so misinformed, John Kasich. Just stop. Uh, now, uh, also, he states that he wants to freeze all regulations for a year except for safety regulations in order to ameliorate income inequality. But if you think that the private sector is suddenly going to have a change of heart and raise everyone's wage as opposed to just cutting their pay to a dollar per hour, you're insane. I mean, this is if you think that that's going to help income inequality, there's no hope for you. You're not sane. Okay. And this is from the moderate, most reasonable candidate. Now, he also states that universities shouldn't get a dime unless a certain amount of people graduate or something along those lines. Um, so basically, he's applying Bush's No Child Left Behind to universities. Uh, and if you don't think that that's going to make the cost of tuition rise... Again, I, you're not being reasonable. The reason why tuition rates have gotten so high is because government doesn't subsidize uh, uh, the fees for tuition as much. So the more that they cut the cost of education, the more that tuition rates rise. It's extremely simple. It's a very clear and evident case of cause and effect. So by cutting their funding, that's not going to help. It's just going to raise costs by that much more. Now, on one last note, when he said, God bless America, I wanted to vomit in my mouth. Not because, you know, I'm against this religious sentiment, because it's extremely common among both parties. But I just thought that it came off as very Ted cruz -y. God bless America. Like, dude, stop, okay? You're, you're just trying to pander. It just, something about it really hit a nerve with me, and it bugged me. So <laughs> I had to point that out. Now, as for his performance, I think that John Kasich did do better this time than the last debate, but he still didn't top his performance from the first debate, so I still think he's got some work to do. Now, when it comes to Donald Trump, I absolutely applaud him on his stance for super PACs. I mean, he says the craziest shit that you can imagine, but when it comes to super PACs, he's absolutely 100% correct. And this is something that needs to be said. It's the elephant in the room. He was correct to state that super PACs basically just benefit special interests. Now, other than that, I actually didn't think that Trump did too bad, 
but uh, I kind of forgot that he was there at times, and that wasn't really the case with the first two debates for me. But I don't think we're going to see a steep drop-off from Donald Trump in the polls just based on this uh, debate. Now, when it comes to Rand Paul, uh, once again, he did nothing to really set himself apart. Uh, you didn't really even know he was there most of the time, so I think that we're seeing the last leg of his campaign. Don't think this is going to help him at all. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's out by the next debate, but then again, it's in like two weeks, so who knows? He may stick around. Now, when it comes to Jeb Bush, I think that he was, besides Rand Paul, the biggest loser of the night uh, because he's basically the establishment version of Ben Carson. He's very low energy. He looks tired. He wasted his time bragging about his fantasy sports league on one question just so that way he can appear more human. Hey, fellow plebeians, I do sports, uh, fantasy football sports stuff too. I'm cool just like you. I watch TV. I poop. I'm human. <laughs> That's basically how it came across to me. He wanted to seem more humanized, but I don't think it helped. He didn't make a splash in this debate like he really needed to in order to save his campaign. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, I think he came out actually looking the worst. And I think that either by the next debate or the fifth debate, I think he's probably going to end up dropping if he doesn't make any significant progress. But we'll see because, again, I can't predict what Republican voters want. Uh, now, when it comes to Chris Christie, I think that this was his best performance for sure. The way in which he was speaking, his mannerisms, it was a lot more organic. It didn't feel robotic. It didn't feel as smarmy this time. He just kind of seemed more like a normal person. And uh, he also came off as more personable to boot. Uh, so I think that was good for him. Now, I do like the fact that he doesn't reject anthropogenic climate change like his friends on stage. But... That just kind of secures the fact that he's not going to get the nomination. Because if you think Coke Industries are going to uh, donate money to a guy who's saying that he wants to invest in solar technology as opposed to oil, he wants to subsidize these other industries, <laughs> yeah, you're, <laughs> you're not getting that Coke money, buddy. So based on that, if, you know, if campaign funding is really that important and that crucial, then you could say that Chris Christie kind of just blew it. But um. I, I agree with that. I think that we should be investing in solar energy. So we gained some brownie points with me. Would I ever vote for Chris Christie? Of course not. But I mean, that was a great thing to say. And it's logical. It would stimulate the economy and combat global warming as well. So it's just a win-win. So it, it's, it's basically common sense policy. Uh, now, my general thoughts were that I thought it was kind of funny how every single one of them hated the moderators. Now, one thing that was interesting is that even though the moderators tried to do the best that they could to really stay on top of the candidates and fact check them, uh, well, they didn't. We had a conversation about Social Security for, what, like 10, 20 minutes? Uh, and not a single one of the moderators pointed out that, hey, all of you are arguing that Social Security will be insolvent in eight years, but that's not the case. Studies show that Social Security is going to be solvent until 2033. That's a more conservative estimate. Some of them show they're going to be solvent until 2037. But what they don't tell you is that the following year... Well, it would be solvent until 2034 or, or uh, 2038 if you take that estimate. And furthermore, when it goes past those dates, uh, it doesn't just stop paying out benefits. It just doesn't pay out 100% of benefits. It goes down to 90 or 80%. So nobody fact-checked them, and that really bugged me. Uh, now, I kind of agreed with the audience boos uh, and the pushback from the candidates against the hosts who were really trying to push them to attack each other. That's not what the debates are supposed to be about. I mean, you watch to gain insight into the policy positions of these individual candidates. You don't really care about them attacking each other. I mean, I forgot what the question was. Uh, do you think that Donald Trump is fit to unite the country as a leader? 
I don't care if John Kasich thinks that Donald Trump can unite the country as a leader. We'll determine that at the uh, at the ballot box. I don't care if they attack each other or not. So I'm glad that they actually pushed back, and I'm glad the audience booed them because they deserved it, man. I mean, come on. I want to. I hate that politics are covered as a horse race. Uh, now, finally, I noticed something more interesting this time. Uh, they were talking about the salaries of CEOs, stagnant wages of the middle class, income inequality, uh, the 1%'s greed, uh, and how the 1% or excuse me, and how the little guy is being exploited. Uh, now, their solutions are just more policies that will exacerbate all these problems. Don't get me wrong. But what we're kind of seeing here is a little bit of the Bernie Sanders effect. Bernie Sanders is the one who is basically taking over this election cycle. He's monopolized it. If you're not talking about income inequality, you're not going to get the momentum that he has. Uh, so I like that these issues are coming to the forefront. Now, of course, their solutions, like I said, are not going to solve income inequality. But the fact that it's on the agenda... You could thank Bernie Sanders for that because he's really had a huge influence in this campaign, uh, in everyone's campaign. So in the end, uh, Jeb Bush, probably Rand Paul as well, they lost the debate hands down. Uh, and Marco Rubio, I think, came out really, really strong. He came out looking good. And I think that he's probably the one who I'm most scared of. Uh, if he were to win the uh, nomination, I, I'm more afraid of him facing Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders than anyone else because I think that he's a good debater and he defends himself well. So uh, we'll see how it goes in the polls. PolitiFact fact-checked some of the claims cited by Republican presidential candidates at the third GOP debate. Now, unsurprisingly, a lot of them were caught in big, fat lies. Now, there were some of them uh, who were actually telling the truth when they cited certain statistics. So uh, we'll kind of go through these. Now, Carly Fiorina states that 92% of jobs lost during Barack Obama's first term belonged to women. And PolitiFact rates that claim false. They state that the correct numbers show women actually gained jobs. So that's an outright lie. <laughs> now, Ben Carson says that he did not have an involvement with the nutritional supplement company Manatech. Now, PolitiFact rates that claim false, <laughs> completely false. That one was pretty easy. They state uh, by, quote, no involvement, he means ringing endorsements then yeah, he's he's not telling the truth there. So that was a brazen lie. He didn't defend himself well right there. Now, Marco Rubio states, in 2008, then-Senator Barack Obama missed 60 or 70% of his votes. And in 2004, John Kerry missed close to 60 to 70% as well. And Bob Graham missed over 30% of his votes. Now, this is true. A lot of them did miss their votes, so uh, he is correct to point this out, and I think that it's smart to point that out given that he's missed so many votes himself. You've got to come back with facts and say, look, these people have missed this many votes as well, so don't just look at me. So kudos to him for having the facts right. Donald Trump says, I never said that, quote, Marco Rubio was Mark Zuckerberg's personal senator, and PolitiFact rates this pants on fire false he's lying big time uh it's on his own website according to politifact so complete and just outrageous lie now marco rubio states quote for the first time in 35 years we have more businesses closing than starting politifact rates this true so uh the trend started in 2008 so we can actually blame bush for that though because he was in office during the great recession but i mean that's an oversimplification i mean the policies of Reagan, the policies of George H.W. Bush, as well as Bill Clinton, 
all led to the Great Recession. I mean, Bill Clinton's the one who repealed or he signed the repeal of Glass-Steagall. So, I mean, you got to call it where you see it. Uh, and all these guys are responsible for it. So we can't really put that on Barack Obama as I think Marco Rubio probably wanted to. Okay, so last claim uh, is from Chris Christie. He states, Bernie Sanders' plan is to raise your taxes by 90%. And PolitiFact rates this pants on fire. It's completely false. And furthermore, a problem with this claim when they state that he wants to even tax billionaires 90%, well, that's not true because what they're really talking about is the marginal tax rate. The effective rate that they paid was much, much lower. So pants on fire. And, uh, I'm glad that they, <laughs> they did this. So of course, uh, they made a lot of incorrect statements and PolitiFact is right to point them out. And I also wanted to share this with you guys because you got to know, I mean, there's some extraordinary claims made and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence in the form of statistics. And they never provide that. And Carly Fiorina last time lied about a baby, uh, like there was talking about keeping a baby alive. She saw this on video so that way they could extract its parts and harvest it for science. Completely false. She hasn't been able to present this video and... Look, they say these types of things all the time. They don't back it up with evidence. But kudos to Marco Rubio for actually telling the truth when it comes to statistics. I mean, you don't see that very often among GOP candidates. So good on you, man. In an attempt to smear Bernie Sanders' name, Hillary Clinton accused him of being a sexist. Now, here's her statement and then Bernie Sanders' response. I've been told to stop, and I quote, shouting about gun violence. Well, first of all, I'm not shouting. It's just when women talk, some people think we're shouting. You're the one she's quoting, Senator Sanders. She is suggesting in public that you have a problem with women speaking out. <laughs> well, you know, uh, all that I can say is I am very proud of my record on women's issues. I certainly do not have a problem with women speaking out. And I think what the secretary is doing there is taking words and misapplying them. What I was saying is if we are going to make some progress on dealing with these horrific massacres that we're seeing, is that people have got to start all over this country talking to right. each other. It was not Hillary Clinton. You have some people who are shouting at other people all across this country. You know that. This nation is divided on this issue. What I have said is I think there is a consensus out there that talks about banning assault weapons, that talks about expanding instant background checks, that talks about doing away with the gun show loophole, doing, making sure that this straw man situation becomes federal law, and we make sure that guns do not get into the hands of people who should not have them, that we deal with the mental health crisis. What I was talking about very clearly is that all across this country, you got people shouting at each other. Right, but she's, got to calm she's it suggesting down. that you're saying well, she is, that she's shouting and that, well, and that you, when you hear a woman well, talking, not, you think that they're shouting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what can I say? That's just not the case. Of course that's not the case, but if you watched the debate and paid attention like I did, you'll see that Bernie Sanders said the same thing to Martin O'Malley as well. Take a look. It's time to stand up and pass comprehensive gun safety legislation Sen as a nation. Senator Sanders, I want you to be able to respond. Yeah, 30 absolutely. seconds. I think the governor gave a very good example about the weaknesses in that law, and I think we have to take another look at it. But here is the point, Governor. We can raise our voices, but I come from a rural state, 
and the views on gun control in rural states are different than in urban states, whether we like it or not. If you think that we can simply go forward and pass something tomorrow without bringing people together, you are surely Let me bring mistaken. in somebody who has a... So it's very obvious he was talking about both sides yelling at each other, the left and the right. I mean, that's very explicit. He made this extremely clear. Uh, and I really think Hillary Clinton has the nerve to try to accuse Bernie Sanders of sexism when he defended her over her email scandal thing. I mean, it just made me so mad when I saw this. Uh, and furthermore, Hillary Clinton, she, it just proves how much of a hypocrite she is. Because what she say a few months prior? She stated that the Bible is her favorite book. Now, if you actually dive into the Bible and see what it says about women speaking out and women yelling... Well, it says this, quote, They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. That's 1 Corinthians 14.34. Now, furthermore, quote, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And that's 1 Timothy 2.12. Now, there's more, but you get the point. But uh, basically, what I'm trying to say is that if you have a problem with men trying to tell women to... Uh, to not speak out and to be quiet, well then maybe you shouldn't have said that the Bible is your favorite book, Hillary Clinton, but you're a hypocrite. And uh, basically, you get to pick and choose what you believe so that way it fits your political narrative. So I don't think that she actually believes this bullshit that Bernie Sanders is a sexist because obviously he's not, but what she does, much like her policy positions, is she'll come to a conclusion if it's politically expedient. It doesn't matter uh, if she actually thinks a certain way. She's driven by focus groups. She's driven by polls. And uh, if hurting Bernie Sanders by smearing his name and calling him a sexist is going to hurt, help her polls, then let's do it. She's done. She's on it. So this is what I like to call gutter politics. Uh, only the worst of the worst engage in it, and she is demonstrating that she's just as bad as the Republicans, and she should be absolutely ashamed of herself to do this to someone, especially Bernie Sanders, because, I mean, he stood up and fought for women's rights anytime he's had the chance to do so. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean that you're going to be better on women's rights than Bernie Sanders. He may not have that experience, but you can look at his record. It speaks for itself. It's just absolutely disgusting. This made me really mad because, I mean... Bernie Sanders has gone out of his way to avoid attacking Hillary Clinton, and she has no problem at the first opportunity she could possibly get to just wage the worst attack possible, to call him a sexist. It's disgusting. And Hillary Clinton, uh, this just shows why she's a bad candidate and people don't trust her. Great news coming out of the Bernie Sanders campaign. He has officially stated that he is in favor of legalizing marijuana at the state level, and furthermore, he's called for it to be removed from the list of the country's most dangerous drugs. In my view, the time is long overdue for us to remove the federal prohibition on marijuana. He is now running a campaign on Facebook, actually, stating that he wants to legalize regulate and tax marijuana the same way as sales of alcohol and tobacco and he includes a petition at berniesanders.com so this is the advertisement that you're going to see on facebook if you like bernie sanders or if you like a lot of liberal pages and whatnot now i like that he's not only just stating his position and calling for it to be removed from schedule one drugs uh but i like that he's actually putting money uh into advertising his position because i think this is going to make him a lot more popular among millennials because we all know 
millennials like smoking weed. <laughs> so this is a good thing for his campaign. Furthermore, this is really significant for a presidential candidate because I don't know if you guys remember last year in the 2014 election, uh, Senator Jeff Merkley was running for re-election and he came out in favor of legalizing marijuana and that made national headlines. I mean, that was unheard of for a senator to do that. So for Bernie Sanders to come out as a presidential candidate who is actually doing very well, for him to come out and state that he's in favor of legalizing marijuana is significant. So once again, Bernie Sanders is setting the bar uh, and making all the other candidates have to compete with him. So now Hillary Clinton, I'm going to place my bet and say in about a month, she's going to come out in favor of legalizing marijuana. What do you say? What do you think? <laughs> Comment down below and tell me because she's trying to copy everything that he's doing. She's trying to out progressive him. But you can't because he has real principled policy positions. So we'll see. So now under the Controlled Substances Act, marijuana is listed as a schedule one drug, which means that it has no medical value. Uh, it's extremely dangerous and it's highly addictive. Now we all know that these claims are completely bogus. Um, out of 60 peer-reviewed studies, the overwhelming majority shows that there are actually a lot of medical benefits to marijuana for all types of diseases, including Lou Gehrig's disease, that's ALS, uh, cancer, HIV and AIDS, bipolar disorder, Crohn's disease, multiple, scler multiple sclerosis, Sorry, I can't, that's a tough word for me to say. Uh, Parkinson's disease, schizophrenia, rheumatoid arthritis, Tourette syndrome, PTSD, and it also reduces general pain and nausea as well. Now, furthermore, it's less harmful than alcohol, yet nobody's calling it to question the legality of alcohol. That's just, you're not a serious person if you do that, right? So that combined with the fact that 58% of Americans support legalizing recreational marijuana means that if you keep it illegal, that's just bad policy. That's not what we want. That's not what is reasonable. Uh, now, Bernie Sanders is right to finally take a really strong stance on this, and I think it's going to help him. Now, I've been saying for quite some time that I want Bernie Sanders to take a strong stance on weed because it's a progressive stance to take, and furthermore, it will give you a lot more popularity because this is a populist position. I mean, if a majority of the country is in favor of something, well, then if you want to win an election, get on that side. I don't see why, uh, like Hillary Clinton is stating, we need to wait and see how Colorado and Washington and Oregon does. Uh, we've seen enough. It's been legal in Colorado for over a year. And guess what? They're bringing in record revenues from it. It's, it's amazing. So if you don't want that, if you don't want to legalize tax and regulate something that is already going to be used, predominantly among, what, like 90% of the population, how many people smoke weed? I'd say, what, at least 50% smoke it regularly. So, uh, they're going to do it anyway. So why not just legalize it, tax it, regulate it, and take that money and put it into schools, put it into healthcare, whatever. I mean, there's so much good we could be doing with the money for uh, legalized cannabis. And these politicians are just missing an opportunity. Uh, so Bernie Sanders, man, kudos to you, because once again, you're getting on the right side of history. A trailer for the trailer has been released for the upcoming sequel of God's Not Dead called God's Not Dead 2. So we're going to go ahead and watch this together because even though it's short, there's a lot that we can get out of it. Uh, okay, so let's go ahead and switch real quick. Okay. The God's Not Dead 2 trailer. Can't wait until Friday? Well, here's a sneak peek. Oh, I'm so excited. In this day and age, people. All right, we'll pause it right there. Pure Flix. Think of that. It's not Netflix, it's Pure Flix because... 
we're pure and you're dirty. We're better than you. That's what that's what I get from this. So already, uh, I don't like this. This day and age, people seem to forget that the most basic human right of all is the right to believe. What? Okay, nobody's forgetting this. I don't think anybody's contending that uh, we don't have the human right to believe what we want to believe. I think that anyone should believe in anything. And look, I don't care. If you want to believe in Jesus, you want to believe in Muhammad, you want to believe in the flying spaghetti monster, you can believe in whatever you want. Nobody's combating that. But the overall implication here is that, well, they're trying to take away that fundamental right because it's called God's Not Dead. Now, if you guys don't remember, God's Not Dead is the movie where they basically painted a big caricature of atheists and made them out to be these terrible people. Uh, so this movie is ridiculous. It just reinforces the Christian persecution complex. And just in that first line, you already know where they're going with it. So let's continue. No prayers, no moments of silence, nothing. I just hang on. I want to pause really quick because the irony uh, that was Melissa Joan Hart. She played Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I, When I was a Christian kid, I wasn't allowed to watch that show because it was about a witch and that deals with the occult. So it's ironic that she's now in a Christian movie and she's peddling something that's the opposite when she used to um, peddle the occult, which is contrary to religiosity. Now, furthermore, she stated something, this lady on the phone, about no, no prayer, no nothing, and she's talking about it in class, presumably. But... See, that's not just about your right to be a Christian. If you want prayer in schools, what you want to do is impose your religion on everyone else. So the kids who are Buddhists, the kids who are Hindus, the kids who are um, Muslims, who are atheists, they're going to be forced to acquiesce and pray because you can't just pray to yourself. I mean, prayer isn't about, you know, praying in public. If you want to pray, you can say a prayer real quick in your head. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. But you can't have schools mandate it because then the government would be mandating this and that's against the First Amendment. So let's continue. Think of the other children out there who are subjected. They denied God's existence. Ugh, insufferable. Subjected to their repressive belief system. If we sit by and do nothing, the pressure that we're feeling today will mean persecution tomorrow. We're ah, see, here we go. Now we get to the crux of it. The persecution that we're feeling, or the pressure that we're feeling today will turn to persecution tomorrow. I don't think you guys got to worry about that. You are now 70% of the country, over 70%. People agree with you. Nobody's persecuting you. See, if you're a Christian in Egypt, you can make the case that your Christian beliefs are being persecuted. If you're a Christian in Iraq, you can make that case. But in America, mm -mm, you don't get to make that case. American Muslims can say they're being persecuted because they are. But if you're a Christian... You guys are the ones doing the persecuting because who was it that led the fight in 2008 to repeal marriage equality in California with Prop 8? It was religious organizations. It was the Mormons. It was the Christians too. Uh, so, come on. Who's really being repressed here? Again, persecution complex. We look forward to seeing you at Woodlawn this coming weekend. And remember, get there early so you can see the full trailer of God's Not Dead 2. Oh, I will. <laughs> okay, so the reason why I'm talking about this is because it's the goal of the Humanist Report to break down misinformation. That's one of my goals here. Uh, and this is clearly perpetuating misinformation. I don't care if you do a Christian movie where you talk about uh, how, you know, it, it's difficult to get through this one issue and God helped me. That's fine. I don't care. But when you start uh, trying to create movies that have broader political implications that could potentially influence individuals to fight from a legal standpoint to impose their religious views on everyone else, 
Well, now I've got a problem. Now you've come into my territory. See, I don't care if you're religious at all, but I'm an anti-theist when it comes to the public sphere. We should be 100% secular because our constitution is secular. Now, if you try to get prayer enforced in schools, if you try to erect religious statues on public property, well, that's violating the First Amendment, very explicitly so. So I'm against these types of uh, movies if they're going to have political implications. You could talk about whatever you want to, but I'm going to critique you if you're going to try to make it political and state that you're being persecuted and that you should take action. You don't have to do anything. You are the majority. You are the definition of a privileged person if you are a Christian in the U.S. because nobody's going to question you. Nobody's going to critique you. If you come out as an atheist, well, now people are going to be like, what, you're an atheist? How dare you? I mean, look at the way that they try to demonize atheists in here. Look at your repressive religion, which it is repressive, but the way they make it so that way we're constantly poking at Christians and trying to repress them and uh, persecute them. The fact of the matter is that you guys are the ones trying to back everyone else into a corner and getting them to acquiesce to your religion. But you can't do that. We're not a Christian nation when it comes to the Constitution. You can say that uh, from a demographic standpoint, we're a Christian nation because we have a ton of Christians in this country, but we got to follow the Constitution. And I'm sorry, you guys aren't being persecuted. So you really need to stop trying to play the victims. They really, really want to be the victims. But American Christians are not persecuted. Again, if you're in Egypt and you're a Christian, I feel for you and I'd fight for your rights, but you're in America and you have all the privilege in the world, so sit down. Noam Chomsky discussed how both political parties in America have shifted to the right, but when it comes to the Republican Party, he states that they've basically gone off the political spectrum. Take a look. The spectrum is broad, but in an odd sense. The spectrum is basically from center to extreme right, extreme right, way off the spectrum. So the Republican Party about 20 years ago basically abandoned any pretense of being a normal political party. In fact, uh, distinguished, respected conservative commentators from the American Enterprise Institute right-wing think tank. Uh, like Norman Ornstein, described the Republican Party as a radical insurgency, which has abandoned uh, parliamentary politics. Uh, they just don't want anything to happen. Their only policies are don't do anything or bomb. That's, uh, and that's not a political party. It's, uh, the, what happened is that the party, uh, during the whole neoliberal period, both parties shifted to the right, as everywhere in the world and the Republicans just went off the spectrum. Uh, they became so dedicated to the, uh, 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 the interests of the extreme wealthy and powerful that they couldn't get votes. So they had to turn to other constituencies, which are there, but were never politically mobilized. Uh, Christian evangelicals, uh, nativists who are afraid they're taking our country away from us, uh, people who are so terrified that they have to carry a gun into a coffee shop, and uh, that's their base, essentially. And uh, when, you, when you look at what, just take a look at the primaries. I mean, any candidate who has a semblance of rationality is not even competing. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, so that's the Republicans. The Democrats have shifted to the right as well. The uh, Today's Demo mainstream Democrats 
are pretty much what used to be called moderate Republicans. Somebody like uh, Eisenhower, for example, would be considered way out on the left. Uh, so, for example, Eisenhower uh, uh, strongly uh, made it very clear, as he put it, that anyone who questions the programs of the New Deal is just not part of American political life. Well, by now, that's a left-wing program. It's basically Bernie Sanders' program. Yeah. That's uh, Eisenhower. So the, the spectrum just is, it's true that it's broad, but in a very strange sense. So I really like Noam Chomsky because he's one of the few people in this country that can really articulate the shape that our country is in and be actually accurate. Contrary to all the political pundits, it's not the case that just the Republicans have moved to the right and uh, a lot of them will say that Democrats have moved to the left. That That's completely false. Both parties have moved to the right. This is demonstrably true. Now, when you look at politicians such as Hillary Clinton, such as Barack Obama, you'll see that these are not the Democrats from the Jimmy Carter era. These are basically moderate Republicans. They may be socially liberal, but from a fiscal standpoint, they're very, very conservative. And when it comes to war, they're warmongers. They love war. Um, that's the reason why... Uh, Barack Obama, he hasn't ended the war in Iraq, even though he campaigned on it. Now, furthermore, the rise of progressives is one of the reasons why political pundits will state, incorrectly so, uh, that the Democratic Party has moved to the left, because we have this caucus of progressives that has about 70 members. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that these people have not moved at all. These are the pro-FDR, pro-New Deal, Keynesian, economically inclined individuals who just stayed exactly where they are while the rest of the Democratic Party shifted to the right. So it's not the case that they're on the far left. Now, it may look as though they're on the far left just because with respect to everyone else on the political spectrum being so far to the right, well, they look like they're super far to the left. But in actuality, when it comes to the rest of the world and where they stand, I mean, progressives are right where the social democratic parties in Europe stand, uh, even though they've moved to the right as well, as Noam Chomsky also noted. Now, the implications of this are frustrating because basically every election, when we're voting for a president, we're forced to choose between either a moderate Republican or a far-right extremist. I mean, if Hillary Clinton becomes the uh, Democratic nominee, that's what we're going to be choosing. We're going to be choosing a moderate Republican or a far-right extremist Republican. We're choosing between two conservatives. If Bernie Sanders becomes the Democratic nominee, then we actually get to choose between a real liberal, a real progressive, someone who is part of the FDR, Jimmy Carter, New Deal coalition. So when we talk about money in politics, sure, it's the case that one of the reasons why both parties shifted to the right is because they've been caving to business interests and uh, the billionaire class whose interests are inherently conservative. Uh, they like these neoliberal policies. Now, when I say neoliberal, I don't mean uh, liberal in the American sense. I mean conservative. I, I mean liberal in the classic sense that uh, when you carry out neoliberal policies, you deregulate uh, and you get government out of the economy to a, a larger extent. So now getting money out of politics, you know, that's going to solve a portion of the problems, but what we really need is electoral reform. The two-party system doesn't work. We live in a single-member district winner-take-all system. So that means that the winner is going to win it all and the loser gets nothing. We are not proportionally represented. So this disenfranchises a lot of people because there's a thing called Duverger's Law where it forces there to be just two parties in these types of winner-take-all systems. Now, 
the upshot of Duverger's law and being a two-party system is that those two parties race to the center typically. So you're not going to have room for more socialist-oriented policies or more far-right extremists. Unless in this case, if the entire political spectrum moves to the right, then you get far right, but you don't get you don't get socialism. So it makes it the case that uh, the the political positions that are feasible for candidates are very, very limited. It's going to be centrism, and that's going to be what gets you elected. So that's what they run to. So we need electoral reform. We need a proportional representation system. And without electoral reform, we'll still be disenfranchised. We'll have to pick between the lesser of two evils every election. And I'm so tired of doing that. But at the same time, I'm not going to waste my vote by voting for a third party candidate because they don't win. And in some cases, they actually cost Democrats the election, which I'd rather see Democrats in office because I'm of the opinion that the worst Democrat is better than the best Republican. So, I mean, we need electoral reform and uh, it's something we've needed forever. So I want to get to some viewer questions. So Brian Gallardo asks, if Bernie raises the minimum wage to $15, what would that do to small business owners? Uh, so that is something that is a bit complex. Now, when he states he wants to raise it to $15 per hour, he doesn't mean immediately just start at $15 per hour. So what he states is that he wants to incrementally raise the wage. Uh, so you start at $10 an hour, then you raise it to 12 and then to 14 and then to 15 I don't know if that's the actual pace that he wants to do. But he's not going to just automatically start at $15 per hour because that would kind of shock the economy. So most economists state that if you do incrementally raise the wage, this will be very beneficial. And you see, the good thing about raising the minimum wage is that when you do that, you increase the purchasing power of individual workers. So by doing this, they go out, they stimulate the economy by shopping, and then business owners in turn benefit from that. And then they can actually afford to pay their workers higher wages so if you do this incrementally you'll see that the aggregate effect is good now people contend that if you raise the minimum wage it's actually going to lead to inflation but what they don't also tell you is that well inflation rises every single year so even if some business owners try to pawn the cost of minimum wage off on consumers well it's not going to be by that much i mean at most you see a 10 percent increase on like so certain types of small items but I mean, it's the overall, the economy will benefit from minimum wage. Now, there are some economists that will disagree with this, but most of them, um, very notable economists, they'll state that, uh, yeah, it is going to be beneficial to the economy if you raise the minimum wage. So he's not going to hurt small businesses. He's going to raise it incrementally. And uh, even if a small business can't afford to pay their workers more, then they're not long for this world anyway. So it's something we got to do in order to stimulate the economy, because if people don't have purchasing power, the economy stagnates. Now, he also asks, does free Medicare cover everyone, uh, even if they don't have a job? So, yeah. So, the thing about Medicare for All is that uh, it, it'll be like every other single-payer system in Australia, in Canada, and whatnot. It doesn't matter if you have a job or not, because your job is not the one who is burdened with providing you with health insurance. It's the government. So, you pay into it with your taxes, and then you, in turn, get health insurance. Now, this will be more cost-effective, because if the government actually foots the bill for us through our taxes, well, then prices can stay down because the reason why costs go up in healthcare is because people get these huge debts that they've accumulated from not having medical insurance and then they have no way of paying it. So then the health and medical industry, they are forced to raise prices. But if you are constantly paying off these bills 
after your tax dollars, well, then it's going to work. And the way that he's going to do this is, well, for one, you can reallocate from our regressive tax or our regressive health system to this progressive health system, which is single payer for all. Uh, and furthermore, even if you raise taxes, even payroll taxes on everyone by just like five or 10 percent. Well, you're going to save money because if you look at Obamacare, some of these plans are $400, uh, $300 even, and that's really expensive. So if you're getting, what, like 30, 40 bucks taken out of your uh, paycheck every week, that's a lot cheaper than paying four, 500, sometimes $600 a month for good health care. So in the end, it's a net win for everyone. And yes, everyone is covered. Okay, so I want to take one more question. William Morris asks, what is your take on the polls of Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders? You gave us the numbers, but I would like to know if you think these polls are legit or just proje or just projection. Look, here's the thing about polls. Um, they're not accurate if you just look at one. When you look at aggregate polling, then you kind of can gauge where the uh, candidates are at but it's it's not everything it's not set in stone so you want to take polls with a grain of salt you certainly want to take individual polls with a grain of salt uh but look there is more reliability when it comes to aggregate polls and i do trust that polls give us some information not all polls aren't everything but they give us some reliable information and they let us estimate where the candidates are at so i do think that polls are um they're helpful they're not everything but they're helpful uh, a lot of people can dispute that and that's perfectly fine but I disagree. Well, that's the end of the episode. I want to thank all of my subscribers for tuning in religiously each week. You guys are awesome. I also want to welcome all of the newest subscribers to the channel. If you're just finding us, welcome. Um, comment down below. Tell me what you think. Hopefully you like it. Uh, if you have any suggestions for us, feel free to leave it down below. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'll see you guys next week. Uh, hopefully you uh, will tune in then too. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm a little bit tired. So I'll see you guys next week. I'm going to go get some sleep now.